it, everyone? And uh, to our Australian friends, good day, mate. What about Canada, eh? That's just offensive. So every week when we record this podcast, Nick always comes up to me. He says, "How the hell are we going to start this bloody podcast?" I say, "You start off by saying good evening, good morning, and how's it?" So how's uh, it, over everybody? to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as Ronnie said, I am having a bit of difficulty with that, but good to sit with him tonight and get to chat some rugby. It's always good to talk about rugby. Yeah, there's it's always a good time for it, like Ronnie says. So why don't we dive headfirst into the URC from the weekend, Derby weekend. Oh, right into it. You don't want to ask me how I'm doing, eh? Okay. Sorry, Ronald. How are you today? No, like, like I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about rugby, so let's let's get to it. Scarlets vs. Cardiff, right? Yeah, good game. Not too bad from the Scarlets. A very dominant performance by them. I think it's important to understand that the Scarlets are ninth on the URC log. So every game counts for them. There's not many rounds left. Uh, they've got six points to, to make up on the Bulls. They want to crack that top eight position. And uh, they've still got some, some distance to go. But yeah, dominant performance by them. Well done. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't catch that game. But like you say, Scarlet's in the hunt to knock the Bulls out of the top eight to make the playoffs. And every game does count for them. And they have a game in hand. So those six points behind the Bulls is really... Not that much. No, that's a good point. I, did, I actually didn't look at that. Uh, but you're right. They've got a game in hand and they're six points behind. So with another win, uh, they could be on 15 games together with the Bulls and only two points behind the Bulls. So uh, it's going to be a bit of a close race for that eighth position, uh, seventh and sixth for that matter. Yeah, the race is definitely on there. But then talking about the, the other South Africans on the log there, Stor- or Sharks versus Lions, 37-10. Yeah, so last week I said I had a bottle of Jägermeister riding on this game and uh, my good friend Martin who's sitting at a nice coastal uh, retreat this week, he's on holiday sipping beers looking at the sunset over the ocean, I hope he knows he owes me a Jägermeister. Yeah, Martin, I would have liked that for this week. It would have been lucky to have a shot before we started this. <laughs> but you're right, Nick. Uh, it was it was like a game. Sharks did exceptionally well once again. Well, actually, I would like to retract that. I haven't. They haven't been playing exceptionally well, in my opinion. Uh, but they did play well this past weekend. Forward yes. dominance once again, big At thing. The forefront of it. I mean, that one mall that the the Bonky scored from. It really was impressive. The forwards fronted up. They established dominance, and I mean. In the wet weather conditions, that's what you need from your, your big guys up front. You know, led by Thomas the Tank there. And I thought as well, the most telling thing for this victory from me was the change in tactics that we tried to use against Edinburgh in the same conditions. You know, against Edinburgh, we were trying to run the ball and not playing tactically smart. This game, we changed that, you know. Hendrickson and Bosch putting in strong performances, good up and unders, forcing the errors in the Lions 22, definitely outclassing their opposite 9 and 10. And those tactics paid dividends. Our forward pack then got the momentum and we were able to score some solid tries. So a good bonus point victory from the Sharks there and ultimately ending a four-game win streak for the Lions. Sure, sure. No, look, I said last week the Lions were the informed team. And unless I take away this past weekend's performance, they are still playing very well. And the Sharks just managed to, to shift into the next gear. So well done to them. Uh, as Sharks fans, both Nick and myself, were very pleased. Definitely. And I also think, you know, the Lions have been very successful against European opposition. They have struggled against South Africans this year. But keep it up, Lions. Keep beating the guys from the north. <laughs> Please. Next game, Stormers v. Bulls. So this was an upset, uh, in my opinion. I honestly backed the Bulls. I backed them to go down there to win 
uh, and to give me the the points in Superbrew. You but see, they for didn't. everyone listening, that's why you back my picks on Superbrew. <laughs> Another one that I got right, eh, Ronnie? Well, it's just the one, you just won one battle, but you didn't win the war, that's for yeah. sure. You seem to think you've won the war, forgetting that there's still playoffs and three rounds of regular season to go. Yeah, okay, whatever. So yeah, Storm is taking that, uh, beating the Bulls by just two points, so very close. Yellow card confusion. Yeah, the yellow... That yellow card was definitely something I'm quite interested to hear your take on it, Ronnie. So for those that watched the game, just a bit of a recap for those that didn't. You know, the wing, Kirtley Orenser, pacing it down the touchline. Uh, Diamani making a high tackle on him. And the Bulls carried on the play, ended up scoring through Ron Nokia. TMO then gets involved, calls it back to review a knock-on from Orenser. And only at that point does the ref then decide that it met the threshold for a yellow card. Dishes out a yellow card for it, ruling the knock-on was there from Aronsa after the card and thus disallowing Ruan Nokia's try. And then, I, I, this is the part that baffles me, how do you give a yellow card for that high hit? No penalty try for an open try line. You know, that that just didn't make any sense to me. Now, we said it a couple of weeks ago, we're just asking for a little bit of consistency with respect to the application of the law. And, and we're not getting this. I mean, there's so much scrutiny these days with respect to um, the officials, uh, the referees, but nothing's getting done about it. Or, or maybe they are, and we're just not seeing it. Is it just a case of the referees just not applying yeah. the rules correctly? I think the referees are going on without much consequence for poor calls. I think Frank Murphy in this game definitely made an error there. You know, he's saying he can't award the penalty try because Aronson knocked the ball on. And Jake White rightly coming out and saying, yeah, but... If you get tackled around the head like that, of course you're going to knock the ball <laughs> yeah, on. Of course. Yeah. So definitely some question marks over the officiating in that game. And, you know, Ronnie's mentioned it a couple of times. We want to stop talking about the officiating. But until the refs have consequences for their performances, I feel like that's going to be a recurring theme throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's just, all this, as fans, we just ask for consistency. It's nice when the call goes your team's way. Um, you tend to just shut up on a Monday when people are chirping. But when it goes against your team, it's it's really heartbreaking sometimes. So, mm. look, we just don't want, there's enough roller coaster of emotions going through a game. We just don't want to add more to it. Uh, we don't want to be more sad than we are and, and sour the win with, with poor officiating. So, yeah, look, I think, I think absolutely... World Rugby needs to look at a way of scoring our referees openly so that we can understand. If 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 the referee gets a bad call and he gets a poor score, a rating after the game, maybe we'll be satisfied, you know? Yeah, and then you know that there's actually consequences attached to the performance. Interestingly enough, Diamani himself in the post-match interview saying he thought he was getting a red card. <laughs> yeah. So even the player, you know, admitting it was against the rules and deserving of a further sanction. And then... Something else, he won man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, is that because he made a try-saving tackle on Orenso or, or what's the situation there, hey, Ronnie? No, look, I think his, his, his performance on the day wasn't too, was actually very good. I was going to say not too bad, but it, it's not a case of that. It was a case of he actually played really well. So, by all means, uh, award him the man of the match, I think just a little bit of a blemish on his record with respect to that uh, infringement, but yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess that's true. And after this weekend of derbies, there's no more fixtures between the South African sides left. Oh, thank the Pope. <laughs> 
So you're going to take us through the log there, Ronnie? Yeah, so I'm having a look at the log here. For those that don't know, there are 16 teams in the URC. I'm going to go through the whole list, or maybe I will. Uh, but we're going to start off with the top four, Leinster, Ulster, Glasgow, and Munster. So the Irish and the Scotsmen doing incredibly well there by, you know, sort of leading the charge. Uh, as soon as you sort of, uh, you know, break that that top four, you get three South African teams and another Scottish team. So that's Stormers, Sharks, Edinburgh, and Bulls. So you'll have noted that I said nothing I mentioned no Italian teams, uh, no Welsh teams. So what's going on there? Yeah, I think we, you know, we did discuss the Welsh are struggling quite a bit. I did write an article on the difficulties they're going to experience when they come here in July. But I think the Italian sides as well. I mean, Paul Benetton lost 23 players to the Italian squad for the Six Nations. Hardly helping their cause. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I think I think the top eight is is you know there will be some movement obviously between or oh, probably second all the way to eighth. Uh, Leinster's leading the charge with sixty points, ten points ahead of second place. So you know, I think even means, Scarlets they're the only side playing this coming weekend. So you know they've got a chance to actually take the Bulls. You said or is the six points that they're behind the Bulls for sure. So the Scarlets are ninth. Uh, they are six points behind the Bulls. Obviously a game in ha- a game in hand, like you mentioned earlier, and uh, so they could still potentially in- uh, insert themselves into that top eight. But you know the bottom eight is uh, Scarlets, Connacht. We've got the Ospreys, uh, Lions. Come on, Lions, you can do better than that. Then we've got Benetton, Cardiff, Dragons, and Zebra. So uh, in any ways. Uh, I, th- I think the top eight, there will be some changes, obviously, between. I think the Sharks and the Stormers, quite tellingly, both still have to face Leinster. Granted, it is at home, but they can definitely not feel comfortable with their positions in fifth and sixth on the log at the moment, with that fixture still coming. No, for sure. So there's, there'll be some people that climb, some that fall. I think those that are in the top eight are going to be a pretty nervous, uh, except for probably Leinster, which is out so far in the lead. Uh, I don't see them dropping anywhere, even to second. So with all this talk of the log, Ronnie, we've heard the rumors of the URC hosting the final in South Africa, purely for commercial value. The URC rules do allow them to make that election. It's either the highest ranked team or at a venue of their choice. So what do you think of doing that here? You know, obviously, if there's an SA team in the final, I think, you know, great call. But if it's two Irish sides, say the top two, Leinster and Ulster, you know, is that going to draw a crowd to fill a stadium here? I think it's absolutely ridiculous to do something like that. Uh, look, it, it will come down to the team and who they, where they decide to play. But to to come all the way down, if you you know the top two Irish teams, you know you play in Ireland, you play with your home fans. That's that's why we love rugby. We love watching our team and supporting them live from within our own stands and screaming and shouting like we are at war. Yeah, I would hate to have a Bulls Sharks final played at the Aviva like. Yeah. How would that be? You know, it's not rewarding the players. They've played hard to get there, to have a home final. Their supporters want to see a home final at their home stadium. And it's sort of taking that away from them. I think we have enough funny things in rugby. <laughs> Let the finals take place where the teams have ranked on the log and deservedly so. Yeah, don't overcomplicate things. Uh, I know it was just talk and, and they're saying it's a possibility, but I think it would spoil you know, it would spoil it for whichever home fans miss out on their home team playing in whatever final. For sure. So I think that's a bit of a silly idea. Hopefully the URC doesn't follow through on it, that it is just a rumor and the fixture takes place at the highest ranked team's home stadium. Well, I'm glad you said it's just a rumor. The rumor mold punts out a lot these days. So uh, let's leave it at that. That's true. 
And then, uh, Andre Duval, we need to give you a bit of a shout out here. You called us out on social media for not explaining European Rugby Champions Cup. You know, we did leave that out. Sorry, you weren't able to chat about that around the bride with your mates. But if you listen to this week, here's a full explanation coming from you. Nick will take a penalty uh, beer for that one because he does do the agenda points. Yeah, I feel like it's half Ronnie's fault, but I'll be a man. I'll take that punishment. (laughs) Andre, and for everyone else, I was quite excited after researching this properly. So here goes. European Rugby Championship Cup, formerly known as the Heineken Cup, will feature 24 teams. So it will be eight teams from the URC, eight teams from the top 14, and eight teams from the English Premiership, which I think is epic, if you ask me. So that system will be worked out that the top four geographical teams from the URC will go through, meaning, as we discussed in the last episode, a team from South Africa, a team from the Irish pool, a team from the Welsh pool, and then a team from the combined Scotland and Italy pool will each qualify. So... You know that that's to ensure there's at least representation from all the nations. And thereafter, the top four ranked sides remaining on the log will qualify. So, you know, if we looked at it now, the four teams that would qualify from each of the respective countries, it would be Leinster, they're first on the log, Glasgow, who are third on the log, Stormers in fifth, and the Scarlets in ninth would go through to play in the Rugby Champions Cup. Then... Looking further on the log for the other four spots from the URC, it would be Ulster, Munster, the Sharks, and Edinburgh. Bulls would miss out, even though they're currently eighth on the log. The Scarlets would usurp them based on their territorial geographical pool. So, yeah, Bulls have a lot to fight for if they want to make that qualification. 2022 winner was Toulouse, so they automatically qualified for this year, and they will do again for the next year, the winner and the runner-up. So first and second place in each year qualify automatically and then pool games it's two pools 12 teams each there's only four games home and away two each and then they go off into the the last 16 and then that you know home and away fixtures and then it goes off quarters semis and the final so that's a a, quite a bit of traveling that's you know for whichever teams make it uh, it's quite a bit of traveling especially for us from here from south africa traveling up north when is this competition played so this competition is actually played concurrently with the URC, as you see fixtures going on at the moment in it. Right. Which could pose a problem for South Africa if you think that we're playing the Curry Cup with the URC at the moment. Oh, absolutely. You know, we'd have to definitely rejig the calendar to, to accommodate that. But I think it's really exciting that South Africa has the chance to play in what I deem is essentially a Club World Cup. Well, yeah, obviously missing some of the Southern Hemisphere teams from... Asia Pacific right so I agree with you that's a that's that's an incredible and that's what a lot of rugby fans have been asking for is a club world cup you know you want to see the best you want to see the crusaders versus saracens or not the saracens or they got relegated last year but they're back and doing quite well but you, you know that's those are the sort of matchups that you'd like to see and and, and perhaps the Heineken or sorry the European uh, Champions Cup is the way to do that, is to introduce some of the, now the Southern Hemisphere teams from the URC in the form of the Bulls, Sharks, Stormers, Lions, playing against some of the French teams. I, I mean, you can exciting. see here Bulls versus Toulon, Sharks versus Saracens. There's some epic, epic opportunities for the teams to play some of the best clubs in the world. Yeah. And honestly, after reading all of this and seeing the qualification... New Zealand rugby has had a huge loss by the South African side, say. 
missing out on the opportunity to play in a tournament like that. That's a huge opportunity for South Africa and really, really glad that we get to be a part of that. I cannot wait to see us playing in the, the European Champions Cup. I'm, I'm excited for whichever South African teams uh, do make it through. So come on, guys, let's, let's go yeah, win the World Cup. You guys have World everything Cup. to play for, no matter what. If you don't win the URC, make sure that you qualify to play in this because this is how you get the South African buy-in to the new tournaments that we're oh, participating absolutely. in. I'm already excited. It hasn't even kicked off yet. No, it's going to be epic. Definitely, definitely keen for that. So this would be for next year's season, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So okay. it, it, would, it would start up from next year. All right, some of the games that happened over this past weekend uh, include uh, Leinster versus Clermont, so dominant performance by Leinster. Leicester, I think you mean 29. Ah, Leicester, I'll take a beer for that one. <laughs> yeah, Leicester beating Clermont there quite comprehensively. I mean, very well done to Leicester. And then we've got the Montpellier versus the Harlequins, yeah. and uh, I, I saw one of the articles that came out on the Rugby Panther this week was about Andre Pollard. Yeah, Pollard returning from, what, 15 weeks off injured, Oof. so good to have him back there. Montpellier ultimately beating Quinns 40-26. And hopefully Pollard can regain the starting berth because he has been playing second fiddle a bit to Garbisi from Italy at the moment. Yeah, look, he's got a bit of time now as well to to sort of get back into the swing of things before the test matches start in the media. Uh, but then the next game as well, racing first start Francais. It's very rare that you see a team score nothing. Yeah, 22-0 there. That was a bit of a surprise. Then also Bristol Sale, very, very oh, close game. Close game All the South Africans there losing to Bristol. So that's a bit of a problem. 10-9. Ulster taking on Toulouse. This was actually the surprise for me. Ulster beating Toulouse 26-20. Toulouse having players starting such as Anthony Dupont, uh, Intermac. You know, they've got a very, very good team. And in fact, last year's winners when Chazon Colby was still playing for them. Do you think Ulster played Toulouse or to win? <laughs> Classic joke there, Ronnie. Thanks for that one. Uh, Exeter beating Munster 13-8. And then your misread earlier, Leinster beating Connacht 26-21. And the last fixture was La Rochelle 31-15 for Bordeaux. So, yeah, some interesting results here. Some very competitive games. I definitely think surprise of the weekend, though, as I said, was Ulster to lose. And look, I think as a South African, just looking at the sort of these games and... In the past, not always paying it too much attention, but you know now we're discussing the what what is now the Heineken Champions Cup or the European Ch- uh, Champions Cup. Uh, these are some great matchups, and I'd love to see a couple of South African teams in the mix there, and uh, that would that would that would be a lot of exciting rugby. No, for sure, and even getting those fixtures here at home. Imagine Toulon coming to Durban. We'll definitely be climbing on a flight down there for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and then something else that's come out this week, obviously from a South African perspective, we're a little bit biased towards them, but the Bok alignment squad, who's in, who's out, surprises, benefits of the camps and whatnot. So. Yeah, you know, I think I'm a little bit bleak with the Springbok management and I'm going to have take over Ronnie's duty here and have a bit of a rant about them in <laughs> a, a rant. moment. A rant. But yeah, ultimately, you know, Jacques Nina, by saying these camps are just to align the players, mm. it's mostly meetings and so on. The camps will... It went from Sunday to Tuesday this week. Now they're going to have online camps with the players in France and England, with Felix Jones actually hosting a physical camp with all the players based in the UK. So definitely a great move there. And then again, there's an alignment camp in May. So, you know, Springboks getting ready, preparing for the season, getting the players all on board with what needs to go. And I believe a big part of this is actually just telling the players, you know, this is what you need to work on. This is what we expect from you when you arrive. 
um, your fitness levels, all of that sort of thing. So definitely the, a step in the right direction. But then my rant. <laughs> I've been waiting now for this. You introduced your rant for, for quite some time now, but go for it. Rassi and Jacques, you guys have led the South African team and public with the highest esteem. However, you bullshitted us for the first time this week. You can't tell me that not being invited to an alignment camp is nothing and that you're still eligible for Springbok selection. That's just, it doesn't work that way. You come to an alignment camp because the coaches want to assess you, see where you're going. Are you a fit for their plan? If you're a player, you get left out for this camp. You must surely know your ambitions of making the test team barring injury are now sort of out the window for the season. And just be honest with that. You know, you said you select form. I feel like that's also not true here. How does Johan Gerson get a call up to the camp? He hasn't played for almost a year now. And then someone like Marnie Lubok doesn't get called up. Okay, so I'm going to jump in here. I think there's a difference between a training camp and an alignment camp. We need to be clear on this. And Jacques Nienova said it. He wants to work with Gerson. He wants to see where Gerson's at in his career, what his ambitions are. He wants to have those personal one-on-one discussions with him and see whether he it can be one of those tricks up his his and, uh, and Rassi's sleeves. But then don't say that you're selecting players based on their form. Because form players were left out. Be honest. Be straight up. Tell the public, look, these are the players I think can win a World Cup. These are the players I'm willing to work with. And that's why they've been called up to this alignment camp. You can't leave players like Kurtley Arenser. You can't leave Tambwe out. You can't leave uh, Lubok out. Warwick Galant. All of those guys. And then say you're calling up the form players and bring someone like Gus into the camp. Who is simply unavailable through injury. Look, I'm going to disagree with you here. Um... I know you feel strongly about about some of the players that have also been left out in the likes of Wassel Kutsi and Evan Riss. But I think I think the there's a, there's there's a lot of strate- strategy going on in the background. There's a lot of uh, gameplay by Rassi and 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 Jacques for that matter, and they're trying to figure out certain game plans and certain players that will fit that game plan. And if they have an inkling that a certain player might fit there. Why not invite them to an alignment camp? But it's that's only what three I'm saying. Days. If you say that, but say that they fit our plan. Don't say we're selecting players on form. But this is where this is where my next point is. I also think it's a case of if whatever you say and whatever you call, the media is going to blow it out of proportion. And and us passionate fans are definitely going to have our little rants on or rants. I can't say that word anymore. But rants in uh, on on social media. And if you can sort of throw some shade at it and, and be a little bit sketchy about some of the calls you're making, then uh, then maybe you're not giving too much away, not showing too many, too many of your cards. You know, and then I saw an interesting story now that you've mentioned Marcel Kutsia and Ivan Ruiz. On Marcel Kutsia apparently calling Rassi and Jacques out last year on their selection policies when they said they were selecting on form and not selecting him. So the door may be shut for that player. And, you know, I did write an article saying... Evan Ruiz is in, Ulrich Lowe probably won't make the Springboks. I was proven heavily wrong here. That's why you always listen to Ronnie and not to Nick. You know, that surprises me. And then how can you not select someone like Marcel Kutsia when someone like Reynard Alstad or the Dupria twins is getting call-ups? No, absolutely. You Look, know, there's there's obviously grey areas, grey players, players that have half a foot in half the door. And, and look, it, it just works out the way. There's obviously more alignment camps coming up. Um, I think I think they have a plan and I'm trusting in them. Yeah, I'm just frustrated with the way they've gone about it because I've respected their brutal honesty before and I feel like we didn't get that from the Bach management this week. 
I really, really don't understand the exclusion of Ivan Ruiz. If there's other things with Marcel Kutsia, fine. I do not understand Ulrich Lowe about Ruiz. Both excellent players. Ruiz definitely in better form. And his URC stats show that. So not really understanding where that call came from. And I also take a bit of frustration for players playing their trade in South Africa. Marcel Kutsia is one of our form flankers here. He should not be playing second fiddle to Dupria and Alstadt and... and those sort of players. So a bit of background here. Nick is an absolute Marcel Kutsia fan. And and rightly so. He was a great player. But uh, so... He is a great player. If, not if Marcel is going through a bit of a dip in form as well, Nick will still back him 100%. So take that forward. No, but you can't, you can't deny the fact that we should be... Two players are the same. You should pick the one that's playing in South Africa. No, I think I think oh, that's I do agree with you there actually. But but look, I think there's so many camps and so many alignment camps and training camps coming up. He he he's he's not picking the end goal team from camp number one. He is picking different combinations, other players to have that those discussions across the table from them. And and he's going to he's going to figure out a plan and as we get closer to the first test match, we're going to see a lot of these players introduced. I think Evan Ristel has his shot. I think Marcel Kutsia for that matter also has a shot. 18 games to the World Cup, Ronnie. 18. Oof, so many. That's not many. There's not many. Well, right. Uh, we've also noticed that seven players have been uh, requested to be released from Japan for for the England Test. What is that? Yeah, so about? we previously spoke about that. You know, the England Test at the end of the year falls outside the uh, general test window the, where World Rugby forces clubs to release their players. Box were looking a bit light because England only picks home-based players, so would have gotten away with it. Looks like our English-based players will be released for the test, so now looking to bolster that, you know, the likes of Kwaka, Vili LaRue, Peter Steff de Toy, um, Franco Mostert, all of those guys being asked to be made available for the the Springboks in that last fixture. And so, then across the big pond. Yeah, and then, okay, across the, across the Indian Ocean over to uh, the Asia-Pacific region and, you know, those teams battling each other across the ditch. So we, we've had the Blues versus the Chiefs this weekend. Another game where Chiefs scored no points. Yeah, 25-0, hey? Bowden Barrett on fire in that fixture, okay. much to Ronnie's dismay. Bowden Barrett is an exceptionally good player. Oh, Ronnie, you don't seem to think so. That's okay. Though. I just think he should be playing 15. All the damage I've done to you on Xbox Rugby with Bowden paints a different story, but that we'll get into that another time. All right, so the Blues beating the Chiefs 25-0. Other side of the of the Tasman ditch there, we've got the Brumbies versus Drua. Brumbies taking that 33 points to 12. Yeah, Brumbies comprehensive win there. You know, still struggling to find their feet a little bit in the competition. But, I mean, the Brumbies are the, the top Australian side, so no no tough feelings there. Saders, Canes, 24 to the Crusaders, 21 to the Canes. That was a good game. Absolutely. Those are two. Well, the Hurricanes haven't been performing too well this year. Don't get me wrong, they're a very strong team, uh, but they're not second on the log behind the Saders. The Saders are dominant. But that's what surprises me. Three points separate them in the game, but on the log, they're miles apart. Yeah, no, for sure. So, look, it's on, on any given day, any New Zealand team can beat any other, I think. And 
Highlanders getting their first win of the season, 37-17 over Moana Pacifica. No, for sure. So well, well done to you, Highlanders, for finally winning. I think they are relishing and looking, looking so forward to playing the Australian teams. Yeah. <laughs> They've been struggling a bit with their home compatriots there. Rebels force twenty-two to the Rebels twenty-one also, to the force. A very close game. So if you're in a, a neutral or an impartial. Rugby fan like us, uh, that was a great game to watch. 22 points to 21 is always exciting. Definitely. Still, as I said earlier, I think they're missing the South African element in Super Rugby. I've seen quite a number of complaints coming out of New Zealand about the quality of rugby on display. And yeah, I, I don't know. We'll definitely see how it plays out in the international stage later on in the year the respective competitions that we've been participating in now. Sure, and then uh, one one additional midweek game that's just taken place was the Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica. So the Hurricanes absolutely demolishing Moana Pacifica. But, I mean, in all honesty, it's very difficult to have such short turnarounds between your, te- between your games. But the Hurricanes dominating there, 53 points to 12. Yeah, so some interesting results then. Look, Super Rugby is still a very interesting competition. New Zealand rugby is a pleasure to watch. For me at least. And yeah, we do miss playing with you guys. But I unfortunately think you have put yourself in a, a poor situation. And hopefully it doesn't affect the quality of your international side later on in the, the year. Absolutely. And then Ronnie, break it to us. Ranting or ranting tonight? Or are we having some fun? It's impossible. So you've obviously pointed out now for a number of weeks how I say rant. Rant? I, I, I really don't even know what really the word is. Sure, any, I'm not sure anymore. So... A ruant for today, my two cents today is... You've obviously seen the trailer come out recently about the documentary Two Sides, I believe it's oh, called. Oh, for the Lions, yes. For the Lions series. I cannot wait for that. So that's coming out in, what is it, the 15th or the 17th of May? That's going to be epic. Cannot wait to watch that. I can wait. I think it's an oh, absolute... <laughs> okay, just hear me out. <laughs> Firstly, I felt that the Lions series was, was one of the worst Lions series I've seen in my life. I thought it was it didn't it lacked a lot and and that's partly to blame you know we had a global pandemic we had covid to deal with and but the lions tour just wasn't very exciting and I think SA rugby is absolutely milking this cow dry there is no way that this documentary is going to be even nearly as exciting as as chasing the sun was for the World Cup, and I Guys. really think they are just going no, just just. <laughs> I feel like they're taking it a little bit too far here. Like I'm really not interested to see this documentary now about this. I think uh, they're taking it a little bit too far, and you know what? If they put that documentary out, we're just going to sound like a bunch of moaners here from South Africa. We probably are, but we don't need to be reminded of it. Ronnie, I don't know. I'm going to report back to all our listeners about how much you enjoyed that documentary when we watch it. He's going to be pumped when Etzebeth gives his team talk. I know Ronnie can't wait to see why Rusty wanted to cancel the test. But, you know, he loves a good rant. He loves to be different from the crowd. And that's why we call him Ronnie. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure somebody's going to comment. Somebody's going to listen to me out there and be like, you know what, Ronnie's absolutely right. We we seem to bring out too many documentaries right now about the same bloody thing. Let's just leave it for what it is. Uh, let's try and forget about that too because it wasn't a good one. Please don't do that. I can't handle Ronnie thinking he's right and having some screenshot of someone on Facebook confirming it. 
And then, Ronnie, something else you were wrong about last weekend, Saturday. I felt it. Uh, when I saw during the week you had posted all of that on social media, I immediately knew that I was wrong because uh, Ashley Johnson was a wild guess because I had no idea who, who we were yeah. talking about. So it's the legendary Heinrich Brousseau. Heinrich Brousseau. When I, that scrum cap, that legendary scrum Always going down into a ruck, coming out of the ball. That oak could steal any ball. Hey? Amazing, amazing. So we're going to do another name the player. Ronnie's going to get his three questions. Posts will come up on social media throughout the week and the answer will be posted on Saturday. So, Ronnie, you ready for this one? No. Not at all, hey? Okay, let's <laughs> go for it. Okay, so not only is this player a rugby player, but he was also the bachelor. He made a sevens appearance in 2007. He debuted in Super Rugby the same year. He's got 87 Super Rugby caps to his name, with his test debut coming on the 6th of October 2012. He, in that time, he accumulated 15 test caps, 30 points in total, or 6 tries. And his scientific name oh, scientific. is Melivora Capensis. Oh, yes, his science, scientific name, Ronald. Oh, damn, this is a tough one, absolutely. I Once again, I think that I could just as well say Ashley Johnson. <laughs> but I'm going to go with uh, question number one, and this seems to be a standard question for me recently. World Cup winner, yes or no? I think it's a reasonable standard question considering it narrows it down to three and a half countries. <laughs> three and a half countries? Oh, England's win was so long ago, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is he a World Cup winner? No, he is not a World Cup Ooh. winner. Is he currently still plying his trade? Nope. Which season of The Bachelor was he on? <laughs> he was on season six of The Bachelor season Australia. Season six, Bachelor Australia? Yeah. Oh, was that not the one with Jimmy Nicholson in? Yes, but he was not the season's winner. All right, so I've got absolutely no idea who this could possibly be. Uh, I am going to go for Beric Barnes. Beric Barnes. Well, guys, we'll have to see if Ronnie helped you out at all. Uh, Post will be coming out in a week, as we said. Please give us your guesses. Let us see if you can get it right. Pretty sure you're all smarter than Ronnie. And yeah, answer coming on Saturday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I hope you guys have a lacquer Easter with the families. And we'll check you back next week for the next episode.